morning. Welcome to St. James. I'm glad that you guys are here. It's good to see you. Welcome to whoever's watching on the live stream. I'm glad that you guys are watching as well. We'll run through a couple of announcements real quick. So first of all, youth confirmation is not happening today. We have a deacons meeting instead, and I forgot to switch that on the schedule. So uh, leaders, elders, and deacons, um, we're meeting after church. So uh, see you guys downstairs after Bible study, 1145-ish. Is that right? No, when is it? Hold on. Yes, 11.30-ish, a few minutes after that. Sorry, I blanked out there. Uh, new members class is happening tonight, though, 6 to 7.30. Anybody who wants to come to that is more than welcome to come. I uh, would love to see you there. Uh, midweek Lent service, it would be great if you could uh, come out and participate in that. We're um, uh, uh, looking at the gospel readings every Wednesday evening um, in those services. So it's, uh, it's been good. The, the gospel readings are really good right now, but we're doing the Revelation uh, stuff in here, and so it's, it's uh, unfortunate that we don't get to talk about John 3 and John 4 today. John 9 is a really great reading, too, but we'll do that on Wednesday evenings. I think that that's all I have. Uh, Holy Week's coming up in a couple of weeks. We won't have a Wednesday service. We will meet for a Monday, Thursday, and then we'll have a Good Friday service, and then um, Easter Sunday, uh, but more on uh, those times and dates later. Uh, I think that's it. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into worship. Father, be with us this morning. Uh, by your Holy Spirit, blow fresh wind through this place and turn our hearts and our minds towards you and towards your kingdom and towards your gifts. And Father, you know how desperately we need you. We, you, you know how even more information isn't gonna help us, but we need the power of your Holy Spirit. We need your presence here with us this morning. So uh, by your Holy Spirit and through your word and through your sacrament, make yourself real to us. Uh, change us, transform us to look more like your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Please stand for the opening hymn. Say that they 
Let's continue in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's ask God to forgive our sins. I confess to God Almighty before the whole company of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray God Almighty to have mercy on me, forgive me all my sins, and bring me to everlasting life. Amen. The Almighty. I confess to God Almighty before the whole company of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray God Almighty to have mercy on me Forgive me all my sins and bring me to everlasting life. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you pardon, forgiveness, and remission of all your sins. Amen. Surely Jesus has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Psalm 142. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they've hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Old Testament reading is Isaiah 42. Um, I don't have anything to say about it. You'll, you'll see the connection when we get to the gospel reading. For a long time I've held my peace. I've kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools. And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. They are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. Hear you deaf, and look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, 
or deaf as my messenger whom I sent? Who is blind as my dedicated one or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things but does not observe them. His ears are open but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's one of the four servant songs in uh, the book of Isaiah. And super fascinating, Isaiah 53 is the big one. But this servant character who shows up, who somehow is going to bear the sins of God's people, or or here in this text, he's going to bear their blindness. You think you're blind. Who's as blind as my servant? Uh, God says, okay, Revelation 21 and 22. This is the end of uh, the book of Revelation. And so this is the last week we'll be working through Revelation. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Okay, so in the new creation, it's not going to be the case that there's no more ocean. This is not meant to be taken literally. You remember, from, for those of you who've been working through Revelation with us, the sea is a place of chaos. The sea is, where, is the place from which the beast comes up uh, onto the land. And so... When he says there's no more sea, one of the things he means is there's not going to be any more chaos. There's not going to be opportunity for destruction anymore. But, but like, like so many things in Revelation, um, the, the details are symbolic. We're looking for the, the, the big thrust here. Uh, verse 2, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So you remember, uh, lots of 12s in Revelation, most of the time having to do with the the 12 tribes of Israel, or the 12 apostles. In other words, and and lots of uh, 12 times 12, lots of 144s. In other words, like all of God's people from the Old Testament and the New Testament are gathered together now. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. It's a big, big Ezekiel vibe going on here, Ezekiel 40 to 48. 
The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. It's about uh, 1,300 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. So it's a cube. Uh, More on that in the sermon. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates." Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, 
God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, please stand for the gospel reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 9. Glory to you, O Lord. This is the story of Jesus healing a blind man. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sent this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It wasn't that this man sent or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how are your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus, made mud, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. And now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he'd received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man isn't from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. The Jews didn't believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who'd received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we don't know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So, for the second time, they called the man who'd been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you're his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We know that God's spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man weren't from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they'd cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? 
He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you've seen him, and it's he who's speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so uh, some of you know why we would sing uh, Joy to the World, a Christmas song 
uh, at the end of a Revelation series. Because, I mean, so that song is a Christmas song. It's about Jesus coming to earth. But it's bigger than just that. It's a new creation song. It's about what Jesus came to earth to do, which was to get rid of the curse. And that's what we're reading about this morning in, in, in Revelation 21 and 22. No more let sin or sorrow grow or thorns infest the ground. He's come to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. As far as the curse has spread into creation, Jesus is determined to get rid of it down to the very thorns that he told Adam and Eve are now gonna be your agricultural problem back in Genesis three. That's what we've come to today in Revelation 21 and 22. So here we are at the end of Revelation. Let me just do a quick summary, if I can, of the entire book of Revelation, which we've read together over the past few months. Chapter one is a bookend to um, chapter 21 and 22. It's a vision of Jesus, and Jesus tells John, he says, I'm gonna describe to you the things that I've been doing in the past, the things that I'm doing now and the things that I'm gonna be doing in the future, which that's what Revelation is about. It's an apocalyptic description, so it's very symbolic. It's a description of what Jesus has done in the past, what he's doing now, and what he's gonna continue to do in the future. Just for, for those of you who haven't been here through the whole series, and I haven't talked about this in the past few weeks, Revelation is not predicting the future. It's not what Revelation does, in, in spite of you know, popular movies and popular books, and a, a lot of, if you, if you I'm going to guess 90% of the American sermons that you could look at on YouTube about Revelation are going to treat Revelation as a description of future events. That's not what Revelation is. Although it does talk about the future, like we're talking, especially as we're reading this morning in, in 21 and 22. It's a description of what Jesus has been doing, what he's doing now, and what he will continue to do. Chapters 2 through 20 is the big bulk of the book. There are seven descriptions in chapters 2 through 20 of what, what Jesus is doing has been doing, is doing now, and will be doing in the future. There's seven descriptions. You remember the first one is, is this picture of the church on earth, faithful, hopeful, but broken, screwed up, struggling with immorality, struggling with uh, temptations to give in to societal pressure. And at the same time, that church is also gathered around the throne of Jesus in the, in the, in, in, at the Lamb's feet in heaven. Those two churches are the same church. And we, I, we talk, I, I talked a lot for a couple of weeks about how what's going on around the throne room of God in heaven and what's going on in this room are happening in the same place simultaneously. Where Jesus comes and meets us, heaven and earth intersect. Time and eternity intersect. Then the next description is the seven, uh, um, the seven seals and then the seven trumpets. And then this description, the fourth is the description of the battle, this cosmic battle between uh, the lady and her child, the Christ child, and the dragon, and the two beasts that the dragon raises up to fight against Jesus. And then uh, there's a description of uh, the fall of Babylon. Uh, there's the seven trumpets. And then uh, last week we saw a description of the final fall of, of the beast and the dragon and the thousand-year reign of Jesus, which uh, we talked about is the entire church between Jesus' first resurrection and second resurrection, the, the, the resurrection that we will get to participate in later. And now we come to the end, new creation in chapters 21 and 22. Too often the church has tried to put together the puzzle pieces of its life without reference to the box with the picture on it. We don't actually look at what the, 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 the whole thing's supposed to look like, which Revelation 21 and 22 is a picture of. We just imagine that it's about... Well, we imagine all different kinds of things. Sometimes we've imagined 
And usually what we imagine is, in, is bits and pieces of the truth, but never the whole, the, the whole picture. Sometimes we've imagined it's about like just worshiping together and singing hymns together. And that's a, that's a bit of it, but there's a whole lot more on the, on, the, on the picture, on the puzzle box than just that. Sometimes we've imagined that it's about social justice. And that's true too, but there's more than that on the picture of the box. Sometimes we've imagined that it's about just Bible study. And again, true, but a partial picture. Sometimes, a lot of times, we've imagined that the end goal is to go to heaven when we die. But if we actually pick up the box and look at it, the picture on the back of the box looks very physical, looks very earthy. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the picture on the back of the puzzle box and then we're going to describe it, two parts here, we're going to describe it, and then at the end we're going to talk about, so what do we do now? Now that we can see the, 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 what, what the puzzle is supposed to look like, how should we live now? So first of all, description of the new creation. So first of all, it is actually a new creation, uh, 21.1. This is the first verse in, in the reading. So if you could look at Revelation 21.22 or in your bullet in the, the uh, Revelation reading. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. The Bible begins with, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And it ends with, God creates a new heaven and new earth. Well, you know what happens in the middle there. God, at the beginning, God creates this beautiful creation, this heaven and the earth, and then humans screw it up. We rebel against God and we introduce all kinds of bad things into the universe. From the very beginning in Genesis chapter three, God announces his plan to take back what was stolen from him, to take back his creation, which he loves. God loves the universe. He loves our bodies. He loves the physical, he loves the earth, and he loves the animals, and he loves, the, he loves nature, and he loves cities, he loves human beings. He's not gonna scrap all of that. He's too powerful for that. And the story of the Bible from Genesis three all the way to where we're at now is the story of God's plan to get that back for himself. And of course, you know how he does it because we've read Revelation. We've read all the different ways he's done this. He's called Israel. Out of Israel, he's called his very own son, Jesus, to come and bear all the evil of the world in his own body and then rise from the dead to, 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 to create this new creation scenario where the power of Jesus' resurrection can give us new life and can give the universe new life as well. So this is definitely a new creation. Um, uh, I've, got, I've got stuff to say here, but I'm gonna save it for uh, a follow-up point. Just on the surface, all things will be made new. That's the promise. All things will be made new. Verse four of chapter 21 says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. We don't know exactly how this is gonna work. We don't know how this physical universe with all of its brokenness and sadness is gonna somehow transition to a new creation, but we do know there will be continuity and discontinuity, that there will, be, there will be tons of similarities between the life we live now and the new creation and dissimilarities. We know because the paradigm for new creation, the power of new creation, is Jesus' own resurrection body. When Jesus rose from the dead, like I said just a second ago, he initiated this new movement where what once was dead can now become alive again. So what happens is, is Jesus' body, is Jesus' body after his resurrection the same body that died on the cross, that walked around Galilee and talked with his friends and died on the cross? Absolutely, it's definitely his body. But there's differences there. Sometimes his disciples recognize him and sometimes they don't, largely depending upon whether Jesus chooses 
to reveal himself to them or not. This new resurrection body can walk through walls. This new, this new resurrection body can disappear and appear someplace else. So there's definitely continuity and discontinuity. And I, there's, we, we can definitely talk about this downstairs in adult Bible study afterwards if you want. But the life that you're living now will be very, very different than the life that will live in new creation. And yet, there will definitely be connections with this life. Starting with, for instance, your body. The, the, the butt that is sitting in that pew right now is the exact same body that will be resurrected on the last day. You were not created for some sort of disembodied, ethereal existence up in a, a, a cloudy heaven. You were created to live on this earth. And when God redeems you, you will be living on this earth. And when those, uh, those whom we love who have passed on and have died, when Jesus returns, he will raise them up to live on this earth as well. And uh, to quote Tolkien for now the third week in a row, I apologize if you don't like Tolkien. All the sad things in the world will come untrue. All the sad things in the world will come untrue. That is our destiny in Jesus Christ. He's going to make all things new. Uh, one more reference and we'll move on to the second point. 22, uh, one and two. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of, tree, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So lots of Garden of Eden imagery in there. The river of life, the tree of life. God is going to return us to what he created us to be in the Garden of Eden with an important qualifier that we'll get to in just, in just a second. All right, second thing I wanna tell you about the new creation is this, is that God will live with us. For some of you, this will be an old point. For some of you, this will be new. But for all of us, it's going to be, this, this is a, a radical difference between the way American Christianity is typically thought about the end and the way the Bible talks about the end. God is going to live with us. Look at chapter 21, verses two through three. And I saw the holy city, this is super important. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and the, they will be his people. Okay, so this is super important. At the end of the story, does God describe, when he, when he wants to tell us how everything is gonna end, does he talk about us going to heaven someday? Or, he doesn't. Or does he talk about him coming down here someday? Look, this is the end of the story. We don't go up. God comes down. It's probably even bad to think of like spatially like God is somewhere out there in outer space and he's gonna come down, zoom down. It's more like, it's just an image to say God is going to live with us. We're not going up to some disembodied existence. God is going to come and live here on his creation. This was his plan from the very beginning. In the Garden of Eden, did Adam and Eve take day trips up to spend time with God in heaven? No. God came down and walked with them. In the wilderness, did, Israel, did God redeem Israel out of Egypt and say, okay, now it's time for you to come up here to heaven with me? Or did he say, no, build a tabernacle. I'm coming down here to live with you. When God decided to rescue us from sin, did he say, I've got a great plan. I'm gonna get this um, um, big spaceship and I'm gonna get all of you who believe in me out of there and you can come up to heaven with me. Did he say that? Or did he actually become a human to come here and live with us and walk on this earth in a body just like we have? This has always been the trajectory. God has always been coming down here to us. And in the end, that's what's going to happen. John sees the holy city coming down out of heaven from God 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and God says, I will dwell with them, and I, they will be my people, and I will be, I will be their God. God himself will be with them as their God. The measurements to reinforce this, the measurements of the city are a perfect cube. Chapter 21, verse 16, the city lies four square length, same as its width, same as its height, 12,000 stadia, uh, 1,300 miles. That's about the distance. So the city is the size, again, to, I'm just gonna point out to you that they're just trying to pick a, a magnificently big number. 12 is the key number here, 12,000 stadia. It's definitely symbolic. But just for reference point, 1,300 miles is like the difference between here and the border of Arizona and California. So this is a massive city. Also, it's just as tall as it is long and wide. Is that important? Is the, is, is, what kind of weird buildings would be in a city that's 1,300? That's not the point. The point is that it's a perfect cube. Okay, so what's the point of it being a perfect cube? Well, the one perfect cube that we, so, okay, this is very, very, lots of Ezekiel vibes here. His vision of the new temple in Ezekiel 40 to 48. Go read that sometime. Uh, when you have a few minutes. But actually, what, what this is a reference to the actual temple of God, the holiest of holies, is a perfect cube. That room was designed to be a perfect cube. It's the place where God lived with Israel. So what's happening here is God is saying, I'm gonna bid, build not just a tiny room in a tabernacle to live in, I'm gonna build this massive city, and I'm gonna live in that city, and I will be, the, the temple is going to be the city. I will be the temple because... It, I'll be living there and the city will end up being the temple too. Which, but by the way, uh, you guys have heard me say this before and I've got to qualify myself because I, 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 I've, I've not said enough. I've said in the past that our destiny is a return to the Garden of Eden. Very physical. It's not that simple because what we see at the end is not just a garden, but we see a garden city. All along, God has determined that his people would live in community, that they would build civilization, that they would that they would start restaurants, that they would make paintings, that they would play music, that they would develop neighborhoods, that they would spend time with each other, that they would be in interaction with each other. That is our destiny, is this magnificently huge garden city in which God himself will live, it will be his temple, and he will live here with us on this earth. The story of the Bible, again, just to reiterate, and then we'll move on. It's not about going to heaven when we die, it's about God coming down here to us for new life. Third thing I want to tell you about new creation, and then we'll be to the last, uh, the last section. The holy city will be the centerpiece and capital city of God's new creation. So last few verses of chapter 21, which is not, that's not really, the chapter breaks aren't really highlighted in your bulletin, so I'll point it out to you. Uh, 21, verses, uh, 21 verse 24. By the light of this, uh, by God, the, the light of God, will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. So here's the new Jerusalem planted on earth, but the rest of the earth will still be here, will still be living on the rest of this earth and the nations will be bringing their glory and their riches into this. This is an old, old New Testament vision of all the nations of the earth someday being converted to worship the one true God. God ruling and reigning over the nations and them coming to Jerusalem as the capital city of this new worldwide kingdom of the Messiah. Here it's happening. The new creation is, the, the, the new heavens, the new earth, the, uh, the new Jerusalem is down here on the new creation. And all the nations are coming and bringing their riches and their cultural artifacts and all the things, all of their things that they have, 
I mean, again, we can talk about this later downstairs if you want to. But everything that belongs to different ethnic groups and different nations are being brought into this city forever and ever. Whatever that means. And I know that like, oh, so this is supposed to be churchy and spiritual. So if I talk about like Indian food or uh, French art or African clothing, that people will be like, oh, that's not Jesus stuff. Actually, that's what this is all about. Is that God came to redeem the nations. God came so that the glory of the nations and that the riches could belong to him and to all of us, to the whole creation, and that we could celebrate and enjoy those things forever. At the heart of that will be this capital city, the new Jerusalem, but God's gonna rule and reign over the entire world. And every knee, every tongue, every tribe, every nation will bow and will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the vision of new creation. They won't be there as slaves. They will be there for their healing. But by the way, you and I are the nations, right? None of, I, not, not many that are in here are ethnic Jews. We are the nations. What's our role here? Well, to be full-fledged, card-carrying members of God's kingdom. And what Jesus is gonna do is he's gonna heal us. Chapter, uh, verse two of chapter 22. The tree of life in the middle of the garden is for the healing of the nations. God is, term, God is determined to repair his creation and he's determined to repair the people in his creation. That's what the new creation is all about. So that's a description of the new creation. Last, and this will be quick, what are we to do now? If that's, the, if, that's the, if that's the picture on the top of the puzzle box, how are we supposed to live now? The answer is, I've got a few things for us here. One is, is that we have to understand, okay, so let me, I'm gonna say this super carefully, and it's a little bit tricky, so pay really close attention. I've said things like it before, but I'm gonna try to say this real kind of dryly and specifically. The story of the Bible is a story in four chapters. Creation, God creates this beautiful world. The fall, humans rebel and screw it up. We're all complicit in that. Redemption, chapter three, God comes up with a plan to fix it. The centerpiece and keystone of that plan, of course, is the incarnation, God becoming human in Jesus of Nazareth. The fourth chapter is restoration, the new creation. You can read about that in Isaiah 65, 2 Peter 3, and especially here in Revelation 21 and 22. Okay, so, you're, so if, if your question now is like, so where are we at in the four chapter? Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Okay, so now we're, we're, no, we're, we're studying about restoration, but that's in the future. The new creation's in the future, right? We're actually kind of living in the redemption spot where We've been redeemed by Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. We're still broken and screwed up people, but we know we've been forgiven and we know we've been given the Holy Spirit and the power of word and sacrament for new life. Actually, that's true, but not completely true. And let me tell you why. It's not as simple that the new creation, chapter four, is out in the future because the whole Bible, the, the whole New Testament insists, and I'll just give you one proof text because it's super sharp. And to the point, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 18, he says, if anybody is in Christ, that's those of you who are Christians, if anybody is in Christ, you are new creation. Right now, you are the new creation. Somehow in 2023 AD in Glen Carbon, Illinois, the new creation has happened in you guys. So somehow out of chapter four, the future chapter, which hasn't happened yet, Somehow a piece of that chapter has been pulled out of the future, yanked forward into the present, into Glen Carbon, and been planted here. 
We are, new, we are bits and pieces of the new creation. Now, we're not there yet. We're not there completely, but we definitely are here now. It's, here. it's already here, but not yet completely here. We're still waiting for the full, full-blown finalization of Revelation 21, 22. But nonetheless, it still is here now. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. So what does that mean? Three things, real fast, and then we'll be done. If we are people from the future, living now in this old world order, that makes us colonists. That makes us colonists from some new, better world here to transform. I know, I know that the word colony has all kinds of uh, bad freight with it now, but just try to understand it in the best sense possible. We are here now to transform this world to expand the colony so that in Revelation 21 and 22, all of Glen Carbon will belong to Jesus. That the tree of life will stand for the healing of Glen Carbon. The people around us that don't know Jesus yet will be invited into this new kingdom for their healing. Three things. This is the basis for biblical ethics. Why should Christians be good? This is a, bit, this is a particular problem for Lutherans because we've been told since we were little, those of you who've grown up Lutheran, is that Jesus died for your sins, so it doesn't, this is the subtext, no, nobody would say this out loud, so it doesn't really matter what you do because you can always get forgiveness. And so what we do is, we just kind of live however we want, knowing that, well, I know Jesus, I can, I'm, 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 it's gonna be okay. This is the opposite of some forms of Christianity, which are like, okay, Jesus saved me, and now I've gotta be as good as I possibly can in order to make him happy. I've got to do tons of good works or else he's going to be d- displeased with me. And I've, just, I've got to work harder to be. But, and actually, what's better is, and I, I don't have time to unpack this, but I'm thinking about preaching of this on Easter Sunday. Colossians 3, 2, 2 and 3 is a better image, and I'm not even going to unpack that now. But just say this. If you are a new creation person, the way that we live now should be the way that we, from the land that we're coming from, all right? Forever and ever, in the new creation, we will not lie to each other. So, let's not lie to each other now. It's not who we are. We're new creation people. In the new creation, we will always be faithful in all of our relationships. We will love each other faithfully. So, don't betray your friends now. Don't commit adultery now. Not because it's some sort of rule and God's looking to blow you up if you don't keep the rule exactly, but because that's who we've been designed to be. We were designed to be faithful people. Our future, our destiny is to be faithful, truth-telling people. Let's be a colony of truth-tellers now. Not because somehow telling the truth makes God happy. He's already happy with you. He already loves you. But because we can be a colony to, to Glen Carbon by telling the truth. So biblical ethics. Second thing, this is the basis for biblical, biblical vocation. We love and serve each other. You're going to go to work every day. You're going to go to school every day. You're going to take care of the kids every day. You're gonna take care of your lawn and you're gonna do laundry and you're gonna make meals for your family and your friends. Why? Because it all counts. Look, if the piece of the puzzle, if the, if the front of the puzzle box is just this picture of heaven and that's our destiny, we're gonna go up to the sky and float around and play a harp. Who cares about meals? Who cares about your job? It's just a way for you to make money so that you can eat until you die and get to go to heaven, right? But if the picture on the front of the puzzle box is us working and serving and loving each other perfectly forever with happiness, then, every, then what you're doing now is a part of that colonization work. It has deep 
deep value. The meals that you make, the conversations that you have, the game nights that you have, uh, the, the, the times that you go out and play golf, everything has deep value for eternity because it definitely lasts. In fact, I, I told the Bible study about this last week. Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, you guys familiar with 1 Corinthians 15? It's this great exposition of resurrection. God's gonna fix the world someday and he's gonna raise us up from the dead because he raised Jesus up from the dead. Well, Paul's not just dropping theology on you. Like, here's some stuff that you need to know. The last verse of 1 Corinthians 15, it goes like this. Therefore, be st- if resurrection is true, if the new creation is true, if Jesus rose from the dead and so we will too, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, if resurrection is true, go to work and give your clients the best service you can possibly get them. Because that lasts. It goes into eternity. Go home and make the best meal you can possibly make. Or go out and get some dinner with some friends and have the best conversation you can possibly have. Because that stuff isn't just killing time until the good stuff happens. This is the good stuff. You're living in new creation now. Your job is new creation. Your schoolwork is new creation schoolwork. The stuff that you're learning in school, you will know that and use that into new creation. So embrace it now as God's gift to us. Not just killing time, but as stuff that we will be doing into eternity. Without the badness, okay? Without the stuff, you know, God, told, God tells Adam, you're gonna, in the garden, you've sinned, and now you're gonna do agricultural work, and the crops aren't gonna grow, and there's gonna be thorns and thistles. All of that will be gone, and the work we, w- we will do will be rewarded every time we do it, okay? Third thing, and then we'll be done. This is the basic for biblical hope. We don't freak out as a Christian church, we don't freak out. The Christian church in America freaks out all the time. We freak out about all kinds of different stuff. Whichever, whichever one of your favorite political party is not in office at the time, you're freaking out. Like things are out of control, like what the, the whole world's you know, going down and it's all gonna be bad. We freak out about like stuff's not going right with church. We freak out about broken relationships. And the Christian church just needs to stop freaking out and know God has this. He's got a plan. And the plan is he's gonna fix everything that you're worried about right now. He's gonna fix all of those things. The guarantee is that Jesus himself rose from the dead. That's the most powerful force in the universe is the resurrection of Jesus. Everything that you're scared of, everything that you dislike, everything that you know is going wrong, politically, culturally, entertainment world, in your relationships, with your body, physically, with your mental health, everything that's going wrong, do you see any of that in Revelation 21, 22? No. Instead, what you see is no more tears. Everything is right with the world. The nations are being healed because by the power of Jesus' resurrection, he's making all things new. Let's pray. Jesus, come quickly. Do this. We crave this. We crave for our work and our relationships and our hobbies to have value and meaning. We crave for all the injustice that's happening in the world and all the injustice that's growing up in our own hearts. We crave for that to be forgiven and done away with and cured and healed. Make it happen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.
Please stand for prayer. Let's pray. Father, you are the God who gives sight to the blind. You are the God who heals our darkness, who heals our ignorance. And and we freely confess that uh, even though we're redeemed, that we still are ignorant and we still walk around in darkness. And sometimes even even having been given the gift of sight, we willingly shut our eyes to your glory, to your design for us. We shut our eyes to your word. We shut our ears to your Holy Spirit. Father, open our eyes and our ears up to you. Uh, Give us yourself, especially, Father, we've heard you speak through your word as we read your scripture, especially now as we come to this uh, table, Father. Give us your son, all of Jesus. Give, Give all of him to us now because we need all of him for our salvation. Lord, in your mercy. Father, so many of us, uh, uh, look longingly at the new creation reality of Revelation 21 and 22. And a lot of us, it's because we don't live in that reality now. And if we, we feel the pain and the weight of the brokenness of our existence. And uh, a lot of us are struggling with physical illnesses. And a lot of us are struggling with mental health issues. And a lot of us have a lot of worries about people that we love who are struggling with these things. Uh, worries about money, worries about our future, worries about our grades. Father, would you heal us by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you heal us by the power of your son's resurrection? And we don't know enough. We've already confessed that we're by nature blind. We don't know enough to know how that should look or how you should do it, Father. And in our best moments, we're smart enough to know not to tell you what to do, but we do need healing. And however you decide to do that, Father, we, we would like it to happen immediately. For, for, for those of us who are struggling, we would like you to fix us right now. But if, if it's a slow process or even if it's just put off to the last day when your son returns and makes all things new, make it happen, Lord. We want to be whole. We want to be uh, p- people who love you and love your creation and love each other. Lord, make that happen. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we thank you for the mercies, uh, uh, the, the mercies and uh, graces that you've given to us as a community here. And it seems like every time we've needed something here at the church that you've raised up somebody to do that thing. And uh, we, we, I just thank you so much for all the people that you've, uh, that you've gifted and called to love and serve um, us as a family and love and serve Glenn Carbon here. And I thank you especially today for the, the Madison County Elementary School uh, ministry that you've called us to and for raising up Sandy, uh, who uh, helps lead us in that and the way that you've blessed and ministered to kids in our schools uh, who have educational needs and uh, physical needs and social needs. And I just pray that you would continue blessing that and uh, calling, ca- calling us, calling those of us who maybe aren't involved with that yet, but could serve in that way, calling us to that ministry. And I also want to thank you for uh, the ministry you've called us to with, uh, to partner with Mosaic Pregnancy Center and their commitment to, uh, their commitment to life and especially the life of mothers and their, their unborn and that you would continue providing for them lots of financial needs and uh, lots of cultural pressure on them too. And I pray that you would protect them and defend them and allow them to keep on serving uh, the women and children and the families of the Metro East. Lord, in your mercy. 
We can only pray these things because you, our Father, have invited us to and you've created a pathway for us to do so. We aren't allowed into your presence, Father, not because you're unloving, but because we're unholy, but, but you've overcome that with the blood of your son, Jesus, and by uniting us to him in baptism and in faith, you've made a doorway into your throne room and called us in as your children. And so we sit on your lap and we ask you to answer these prayers according to your sovereign love and your sovereign wisdom, to do it in your own timing. But we pray always that you would do this, not because of our, not because of our merit or for our sake, but for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Everlasting God, for the countless blessings you so freely bestow on us and all creation. Above all, we give thanks for your boundless love shown to us when you send your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into our flesh and laid on him our sin, giving him into death that we might not die eternally because he's now risen from the dead and lives and reigns to all eternity. All who believe in him will overcome sin and death and will rise again to new life. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Glory to you, O Lord, in the highest. And now let's pray in Jesus' name the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. and When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. Oh, before you're seated, let's uh, say the Agnus Dei together. Jesus, Lamb of God, have mercy on us. Jesus, bearer of our sins, have mercy on us. Jesus, redeemer of the world, grant us peace. Amen. Now you may be seated.
Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles, and to be the glory of your people Israel. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Bless the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. You do realize that for all eternity in the new creation, we will be in relationship with each other for all eternity. So right now as you're leaving, you can participate in a slice of new creation by engaging other people in the conversation transparently conversations that are about them and you and what's important to you and the conversations about Jesus. You can participate in new creation right now. Go in peace.